When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The Rose Water Collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Dear Young Rocker is more than just a podcast about music. It's a memoir of how it feels to survive high school when you don't fit in and the freeing feeling of picking up a guitar for the first time. It's also advice for anyone who is or was young and has ever felt weird or alone. Dear Young Rocker is written and narrated by me, Chelsea Erson, executive produced by Jake Brennan, and comes to you from Double Elvis Productions. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, when you ever so delicately suggested that we tackle the subject of farting in the podcast, I was not super excited. I started reading about farts and, and had that look on my face the whole time, just like, ugh. But you know what? The more I've read about farts, I have come to love them. You've come around to love farts? Yeah, not, not, you know, the smelling of others' farts, but just the idea of them and their very colorful, tutti-frutti history. Yeah, and their strange role in society. And yes, friends, the gender dynamics. <laughs> Of farts, which we will get to. Um, and I mean, we, how long have humans been farting? Humans been, have been farting as long as humans have existed. Right. And so the record, the, the historical record of farts and, and, and just FYI people, this is a safe for all audiences podcast. We are going to be talking about farting and pooting and cutting the cheese. But you know what? Everybody does it. We all do it. So, so keep, keep on listening. Why don't you? Um, let's go back though to 40 BC Rome and Gaius Petronius who wrote, take my word for it, friends. The vapors go straight to your brain, poison your whole system. Yeah, man. People were terrified of the effect, the potential effect of gas trapped in your system. Sir Thomas More in the 16th century said, wind, if kept too long in your stomach, killed you. Yeah, um, Mary Roach in her book, Gulp, talks about how in the early 20th century, there were all of these quacks who basically said, you would better clean out your intestines because, uh, you know, if you're not giving yourself colonics and, and douching, etc., then... All those vapors inside of you will make you very sick. Yeah, I mean, the the advertising that went into this, uh, the, the packaging and, and the marketing and everything for these items is crazy. Like, they were basically, they were just stopping short of saying that it will kill you if you don't clean your poop out of yourself and make sure that you don't, you know, trap gas in your system. Although maybe to, to give the quacks a tiny shred of uh, of understanding, mm-hmm. holding in a fart 
for too long for an extended period of time can cause some stomach disruption, a little bit of discomfort. Uh, Jim Dawson, who wrote the book, Who Cut the Cheese? A Cultural History of the Fart. Yeah, th- these are the kinds of books that Caroline <laughs> and I get to read. Um, he writes about how gas trapped in your colon can cause severe pains in your chest and arms like a heart attack. Yeah. So watch out for that. Yeah, so people might have thought that, you know, a fart was killing them. So, but, but why do we call a fart a fart, Caroline? Is, is it an onomatopoeia or <laughs> what's going <laughs> or on? Or is there? it an acronym? Well, I, I love the etymology of this. The word fart actually comes from the old English verten to fart and vert, a fart. And about 600 years ago, the pronunciation shifted to fart. Oh, oh I got the farts. <laughs> <laughs> it shifted to fart. Um, and fart, the actual word fart, first appeared in a poem from around 1250. Yeah, one thing uh, that I was surprised to find in our fart research was how much scholarship has been done, not so much on the science of farts, although that definitely exists, but on the instances of farting in romantic literature. I don't have all of the examples, but it's... Uh, and I have a feeling that probably the context of fart in that 1250 poem has to do with someone wooing someone else and a fart either getting in the way huh. or being the the gatekeeper. You know what? I think it was animal romance. It was something like the buck jumps and the some other animal farts. It, yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, these magnificent beasts farteth. Farteth on your faceth. It farts. It farts. Um, well, the word fart disappeared from, from popular literature in the 19th century, which is no surprise if you're a regular podcast listener, you know those people in the 19th century were, um, polite. They were very polite. Uh, Jim Dawson, who cut the cheese, actually mentions how Victorian women would rustle their bustles of their full dresses if they had to fart. I mean, I, I'm a, I don't know how that's verified, but it just makes sense. Maybe somebody in some letter wrote to her her cousin and was like, "Oh dear, wrestling the bustle." But it, I mean, it, obviously, fart has reemerged in more common language today. But it's still not a polite term. I mean, the fact right. that we are dedicating an entire episode to farts does feel at the outset a little bit juvenile because yeah. who talks about farts in polite company or who farts in polite company? Well, my dad wouldn't. I mean, that was a word that was not used in my house growing up. Oh, really? I think I had a picture book, something along the lines of like everybody farts. And, you know, it was a story about this kid. He went to the grocery store with his dad or something. I, that's all I remember. But I just remember my dad. I distinctly remember this. He looks at me and he goes, can we just say poot as we're reading this? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever you want, Dad, you're reading the story. Why do you think poot is better than fart? Poot is cute. Poot sound, poot is a gentler sound. Yeah, than fart. Fart. But why do we pass the gas, Caroline? Couple of reasons. Probably you're eating wrong, but it's really more than that. Um, it, it could happen when you inadvertently swallow gases while you eat and as food is digested. It could be a carb issue. Either you're, you're, uh, eating a lot of them and so that they're hard for the body to break down, but also you could have gut bacteria that consume carbs too efficiently or not efficiently enough. 
You need that Goldilocks amount of carb digestion. Yeah, and farting rids the colon then of unwanted gases, and it relieves the intestines of unwanted pressure. So farting in that way is definitely good for you. And and just a, a side note, if you are planning a dinner date, you know, some foods that you might want to avoid less uh, allowing gas to possibly spoil an intimate moment Um <laughs> The whole baked beans thing, mm-hmm. actually true. Maybe don't have a barbecue first date. Um, it's, and it's because beans lead to farts a lot of times because they're made up of uh, simple carbs, which are not absorbed into the intestines as easily. They're broken down rather by bacteria and enzymes, and then they ferment. How delightful. How it sounds like a party in your gut. Um, other gassy foods include red meat. Vegetables, particularly broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, and cauliflower, uh, and grains and fiber, and something that I did not know before this research, pumpernickel, the dark green bread. It actually means goblin that breaks wind in Old German. That's great. That sounds like scary bread. It sounds like terrifying bread, and I wish that we just called it that instead of pumpernickel, personally. <laughs> if you wanted to instead pack a lover's picnic that would steer clear of the farting, pastries, potatoes, citrus fruits, apples, and breads would be uh, some wise choices. Yeah, they're a little less farty. Just starchy foods. Yeah. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rose water collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them. So that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. Okay, the new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman have never been more hilarious as America's favorite moms turned gangsters, Beth, Ruby, and Annie. Already this season, there have been some big twists and breathtaking surprises. The fans love it, and the critics do, too. Variety calls good girls addictive and audacious. Entertainment Weekly says it's just what you need, and Rotten Tomatoes certifies good girls 100% fresh. So, if you've missed any of the new season, get yourself online and stream it now. And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. Um, but what is in the gas that we pass? What is that stuff made up of? Well, 99% of what is in a fart actually doesn't smell. Uh, it's made up of carbon dioxide, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, 
And that lovely explosive gas methane. Yeah, the stinky stuff comes in that 1% of sulfur gases contained in our farts, specifically hydrogen sulfide, which is responsible for that rotten egg smell, Ugh. which is actually super lethal in high doses. But thankfully, the, the dosage that comes out in a fart, not lethal at all. Then there's methanethiol, which smells like decomposing vegetables. And finally, and to me, the... Most stomach-turning <laughs> gas on the list is dimethyl sulfide, which apparently lends a sweet odor profile to the gas. Um, and everybody's gas composition, though, is a little bit different. And one scientist even likened it to the uniqueness of our fingerprints, which is possibly why, Caroline, we usually don't mind the smell of our own farts as much as we probably hate to admit it. It doesn't, it doesn't revolt us. Well, another Caroline's dad-related fart story is that he refers to his own as ambrosia, mostly to disgust my mother. But I secretly think, like, he really believes that. You think he really does not? He, he thinks it's like the, the isn't that the food of the gods? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, as for a, a more elevated reason why we find farts uh, stinky is uh, Rachel Hertz, who is an evolutionary biologist who wrote, That's Disgusting, Unraveling the Mysteries of Repulsion says that someone else's farts are disgusting because they represent possible contamination by an outsider and their foreign waste. Right. Totally makes sense. Absolutely. Totally makes sense. Well, so how much gas is coming out of us during the day? You can use this to uh, possibly measure your own farts. And this is when we get into men versus women. Mm-hmm. Yes, we found a gender dynamic to even farting. Yeah. You're welcome. So the average amount of gas we pass during the day is between somewhere between 500 and 2,000 milliliters per day, which is like about 10, 10 poots. But men, they pass about 110 milliliters of gas per day, which is about, if you're measuring, if you're going to be cooking with your farts, that's about a half cup, half cup of gas per fart. Women, on the other hand, they they don't pass as much gas, but we'll get into it. They pass worse gas. Women fart about 80 milliliters of gas per day, which is about a third of a cup. Yeah, and, and that's probably because we tend to have smaller bodies. Correct. So we produce smaller amounts of farts. <laughs> just makes sense. And how do we know all of these details about the science of farts? Well, there is a guy nicknamed Dr. Fart, who Mary Roach also talks about um, in her book. And there was also an article on him in Salon in 2000. Dr. Michael D. Levitt is a gastroenterologist and associate chief staff at the Minneapolis Veterans Affairs Medical Center and the leading authority on flatulence who has published nearly 300 articles about flatulence in medical journals. That is quite a resume. Well, I mean, he even sounds kind of surprised when they talk to him. He even sounds surprised about the level of interest in farts and that it's gotten him this far. He said that in other countries, no way would a scientist study farts. But for reasons I can't completely figure out, farting is considered wrong in America and people are worried about it. Farts have been good to me. I've done very well, thank you. Yeah, and the only reason he got into it was uh, because in 1976, a patient came in with this problem, which was that he was farting a lot. Uh, he had the patient essentially keep a fart diary and found out that it, it was happening about 34 times a day. And since Levitt didn't have any averages to compare it to, he was like, well, I need some 
I need some data. I need to know whether or not this is normal or, or just how abnormal this is. And so he set out to find out how much gas people pass and what it's made of and actually devise things like special underpants that trap the gas so that the scientists could then analyze the composition, which is how we know all of those different components to farts and how everyone has a little bit different of each. That's great. Yeah. Fart science. Fart science. Well, and it turns out that uh, Levitt figured out the guy was just lactose intolerant. Yeah. That's oh, my God. I know. Well, he did. He did recruit seven people to track what I call fartivity. Their fartivity. Their fart activity. Yeah. And he found out that with this control group, their mean flattest frequency turned out to be 13.6 episodes per day. Yeah, and there was no significant differences due to age, gender, etc. Um, but, I mean, we found that, that men per fart fart more, probably due to body size. Although I'd be curious if you had an equally sized man and woman, if, if, they'd, be, if they'd be farting about the same amount. Hmm. But women, our farts are usually stinkier. Scientific fact, yes, our farts smell more. Why? Due to higher levels of hydrogen sulfide a lot of times. That rotten egg stench <laughs> comes out more. And I, on the one hand, when I first learned this, I was grossed out. And then on the other hand, I was kind of pleased because if there is anything that will poke a hole in this notion that women are just dainty butterflies, it is that our farts are the fartiest of farts. Yeah, Tracy Moore would agree with you, Kristen. Uh, she read about uh, this whole fart equality issue for Jezebel and said that women should run to the nearest high point in their offices or environments right now and coordinate one giant fart for womankind, the kind that silences our detractors. But good. And when the air clears, we'll see who's laughing. Oh, man. I mean, I don't know if I'm like that much for, for yeah. farting. I'm not. I'm not pro farting. Per right. Se. I'd like to. I'd like to clarify that. Um, there, there was one 1980 study that had a pretty loose methodology, but wanted to look into the psychology of farting. It was a hypothetical scenario, bringing in um, men and women and asking how they would respond if someone farted near them and whether or not the, if that person farted intentionally or not. And the research did find, and again, this is a little bit grain of salt because even the researcher, this guy Lippmann, said, uh, I kind of just did this as a bit of a joke, but his uh, research suggested that women were more forgiving than men of loud accidental farts. So, you know, it, I guess if you're going to have an accidental fart slip out in public, hope that it's around women. Yeah, because then they'll all give you that look of like, yeah, no, it's cool. You're okay. Whereas how would how would men respond, do you think? Laughter, high fives. Dude, dude, that fart was a, a 10 like that? Yeah. I clearly hang out with... <laughs> with the Jersey Shore guys. Yes. <laughs> well, so, but what about what about if you fart in front of your beloved or your one day to be beloved? Yeah, I got a real big kick out of an article that Tracy Clark Flory, who is uh, the, the sex writer at Salon, wrote about farting in relationships. Because I feel like everybody who has been in a relationship, has been here, mm-hmm. where you're hanging out and you really like somebody and then you, you 
A fart. You gotta fart. And when do you do that? When they get up to go to the bathroom. But what if they don't have to pee? You know, at at some point, at some point, if you're in a long term relationship, it's going to happen. Yeah. No, there's there's nothing better than like leaving a date when you first started seeing someone and just letting all that gas go. Yeah. You've been holding, you've been storing all of it up. It's really, there's a lot of backup. Um, she talks, though, Clark Flory talks in the article about how she was terrified to fart or poop around her boyfriend. And um, there was this scene that she cited uh, in the movie Love and Other Disasters talking about how there are three stages of farting in relationships. The first one being the fantasy period when both pretend they never do it. You know, no one, no one farts, neither party farts around the other person. But then stage two comes, Caroline. What happens then? So you're in love. You've got stars in your eyes. And somebody farts for the first time. And oh, my God, it's so funny and cute and adorable. I can't believe you did that. And then there's stage three, known as the fork in the fart. And this is when farting is really kind of a barometer for the relationship. (laughs) Because it's either acceptable and you're just like, you know what? We're in this for the long haul. You fart, I fart. Let's be polite, you know, not not Dutch oven all the time, but it's going to happen. <laughs> or it it makes that stale relationship just stink even more because that person will fart and you're just like, and you're farting, you know, and that's when, you know, you got to. That's it. I only date people who fart rainbows, not actual gas. But there are also, though, do you know people like this who have, are in relationships, even marriages, who Still, never. After being with a person for years, you, it's no farting. There's just, you, you stay in that. I think there are still people who will stay in that stage one of both parties pretending that they don't do it. Just like, I don't, I don't think I am aware of anyone. But then again, I don't really talk about farting that often outside of this recording studio. I mean, I've been talking about it a lot this week, but... <laughs> Uh, I still get a little embarrassed if I, if I fart around my boyfriend. I'm sure, no, I... Yeah, let's get something straight here, lady. I have not, like, let a big one rip in front of my boyfriend or anything. He's let a couple rip, and he honestly, like, just keeps going about what he's doing. And I look at him, and I'm like, seriously, you just let that huge one rip right in front of me? And he's like, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, the last time that, the last fart that really sticks out in my mind, uh, my boyfriend and I were sitting watching a movie next to each other on the couch, <laughs> And it was a silent but deadly, which is actually a myth. Uh, Dr. Levitt has um, busted the idea that if it is silent, it will smell worse. It's just, no, that's not always the case. But this was one of those. And he didn't say anything. And I'm like, I know that he knows that I can smell this garbage. <laughs> and I wanted to just see it, like, whether he... And he just didn't say anything. And then I didn't say anything. Oh. And then... um Yeah. Well, I had an awkward, it was actually hilarious, and uh, I I enjoyed it after the fact. But my boyfriend and I were driving around one day, and we stopped at a stop sign, and all of a sudden the car was just (laughs) filled with this garbage smell. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to say anything. But then it didn't dissipate. Eventually a fart will dissipate or you get used to it or whatever. You didn't roll down a window? Well, let me tell you. It didn't dissipate, and so I look at him, and I'm like, dude, really? That was awful. And he goes, what? I didn't do it. You did it. And I thought he was just, you know, oh, denying no. he it. He had a fart off. 
And so then he, then it was like jokes who were laughing because we just thought the other person was denying it. And then it became clear that when the smell didn't dissipate, that it wasn't either one of us. There was like a garbage dump or a dead body or something nearby because my entire car for like a 10 minute car ride was flooded with the smell. And when we rolled down the windows, we realized it was the cows and the cow pastures nearby because it only got worse when I rolled the window down. Oh, no. Legitimate gagging. But yeah, that was a little bit of fart accusing going around. You had a, a fart confrontation, though. A fartfrontation. A fartfrontation. I feel like those, you know, they, they need to happen in, in relationships. It's part of well-rounded communication. Right. The fart talk, which right. apparently I wasn't practicing that, <laughs> that other night when I was watching that movie. Um, but sometimes you just, you just don't want to bring it up. Um, but there are some people who really like farts. Yes. This is this is actually the only uh if if there are kids in the car uh sensitivity issue right now because uh there is a fetish for farts. It's called a proctophilia and it was documented for the first time very recently. Yeah, this is coming from a Telegraph article from July of this year. Uh, a British psychologist recorded the case of a 22-year-old man from Illinois who was attracted to farting women. He was first aroused, this this whole, like, fart love. He first realized his love of farts when a friend of his farted. And then he was just delighted when he heard one of his crushes fart. Yeah, um, and the the doctor said that proctophiles are said to spend an abnormal amount of time thinking about farting and flatulence and have recurring intense sexual urges and fantasies involving farting and flatulence, which sounds to me like a like a fetish. So that definitely exists. I mean, I have a feeling this uh, Illinois man is in a, a very slim minority of people, but it doesn't. It's a strange thing. But, uh, you know, there, there are stranger. Yeah, it could just, I mean, it could just be the issue that it is taboo. Well, and, uh, Tracy Clark Flory even cites in that article about farting relationships about how James Joyce was wild about his wife Norma's farts. I can't even read you the direct yeah. quote because it's, yeah. uh, it, there, it's pretty profane. Um, but let's just say James Joyce liked a good fart. <laughs> So, so if, 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 if this is ringing a bell in your brain, you know, people, there are people out there. Yeah. We're here to bring you the information. (laughs) That's right. Well, you might be wondering, you've listened to all of this and why we fart and what it's made up of, but can you get rid of them? Yeah, not really. Things like Beano and Gas-X don't really work and activated charcoal pills won't really do much to help you either. And acids can maybe calm your stomach, like if, if maybe if you are eating food that is that is too much for your stomach. But for odor, hey, y'all, why don't you try some charcoal fart cushions? A Tudor trapper, if you will. Well, what about um, bismuth pills? Like bismuth as in Pepto-Bismol, the, the, the bismuth and that. Um, bismuth pills have been shown to reduce sulfur gas odor. So that could help with the smell. You yeah. might still produce the fart, but remember that 99% of a fart is odorless gas. Yeah, and that bismuth is the active ingredient in a pill I'd never heard of because it's not advertised widely, if you can imagine it. Devrom, which is internal deodorant pills. Now, there's some marketing for you. Well, and I have a feeling, though, I, I mean, Caroline, I'm no doctor, but I have a feeling that diet and exercise 
it would be a good way to go if you are, you know, if you're nervous about your, your farting behavior because exercise has been shown to help out with relieving gas because, um, it helps the body absorb gases in the colon, thereby dissipating them by the time they travel further southward toward mm-hmm. the exit door. Right. But that, uh, that source that talks about the exercise does talk about even if you do, even if it's not all absorbed and you do pass one on the treadmill or whatever, like gyms smell anyway. That's right. You know, there's enough people around you in bigger gyms that you could just blame it on somebody else. And everybody does it, you yeah. know. So uh, while I think that I think it's always going to be good to be polite with it. Because there is clearly uh, an evolutionarily ingrained disgust trigger that farts trip off. But you know what? If it happens, it happens. Yeah. And and that's okay. Hope, hopefully, maybe it's around a group of women. Because apparently we're very forgiving about that. Or yeah. maybe just talk about it behind your back. Right. After you're gone. So uh, I hope that was helpful and I can't wait to hear from people on this topic. Mom7discovery.com for your emails. You can also find us on Facebook and tweet us at MomStuffPodcast. And we've got a couple of letters to read. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, then I I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's Rosewater Collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rosewater because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them. So that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Here's the thing. Saving money with GEICO is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. And now back to our letters. Well, Caroline, I have one here from Scott in response to our episode on the Bechdel test. And he said, it fascinated me that popular culture still defines the majority of their women on the basis of their men and being a man myself, but one who strives to view differing gender perspectives. The subtle yet wide ranging scope of this issue astounded me. The question I would pose in this line of thought is this. Are there mainstream media type movies or TV shows who define their men solely through the strength of their women characters? I was talking to one of my friends about Orange is the New Black, and that was one of his criticisms of the show. Though it is a women's prison, so it makes sense, I just think in finding fully realized characters that are women truly realized, one can also look for a one-dimensional man. Though even as a pro-feminist idea, one could also argue that this whole conversation plays right into the othering perspective on the negative feminist ideas, in that 
in signaling out a search for women who aren't defined by their men. They're still defined by their womanhood, which is separate from manhood. Just a thought. I mean, to answer his question, though, about finding men solely defined through the strength of their women characters, it's what you talked about in the episode of why isn't there a Bechdel test for men? And it's because it's really not needed because the issue of too many one dimensional men isn't the point. Right. Exactly. And I know what he's talking about with Orange is the New Black. Um, what's his name from American Pie? <laughs> Here I am, one-dimensionalizing him. Uh, he's the main dude in it. But I would argue that those men, while they do play off all of the women, they have they have some depth to them. I mean, everybody's a bit of a character on there. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that that's a failing of the show because the the focus really is on these women. But I guess you could also argue that I'm just reversing Bechdel test. Hmm. So, something to think about. Now, now I feel like I need to go off and ponder. Kristen's going to sit quietly in her chair for the rest of the afternoon in like a thought spiral about this. I am. So, thank you, Scott, though, for the compelling question. Okay, so I have an email here from Elisa, who is answering our call for Scandinavian listeners to weigh in on the diamond engagement ring issue. Um, she says, I'm American, lived in Iceland for many years, now live in Norway, and am engaged to a German man. Germany, we bought each other engagement rings, but mine's silver with tiny pearls and sapphires. His is titanium, and we both wear them on our left ring fingers. Germans seem to commonly wear their wedding rings on their right hand, so he will swap over to a wedding band on his right hand when we're married. I know other engaged German couples that don't wear rings at all. After the ceremony, they will both wear the same style of plain gold band. They seem to be less into unusual materials or designs than my American friends. In Iceland and Norway, people often buy wedding bands when they decide to get married and will wear them right away. Icelanders go with either right or left hand, but most Norwegians wear their wedding rings on their right hands. My Norwegian friends say this is so you shake hands with someone, they will see right away you're off the market. Because they're already wearing rings, people might not even have a ring exchanging part of their wedding ceremony. Personally, Elisa says, I like that my fiancé wanted to have a ring too and announce his non-single state to the world. The tradition of exchanging tokens was meaningful to me and it makes me happy to have a ring that reminds me of him when we're not together. That's sweet. So thank you, Elisa. And thanks to everybody who's written in. MomStuffDiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can find us on Facebook as well. And follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Don't forget that we are on Tumblr, too. StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And, of course, you can watch us every week on the YouTubes. Head over to YouTube.com slash StuffMomNeverToldYou. And don't forget to subscribe. And thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. 
The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.